jump in. I also want to say thank you to you for your eager hearts, for saying yes to coming. I know I talked with Beverly yesterday. Her yes to come was huge, huge. And so sometimes even just saying yes to come, but then coming and having eager hearts, having your Bibles open, having, you know, leaning in. When you're a Bible teacher and you see people with their Bibles open and a hunger on their face and in their eyes, it's so life-giving. And so that is a blessing. And it's a blessing to the people around you because then they're like, what is she looking at? I want to lean in too, right? And it just creates this vibe in the room that's so special for not only me as a teacher, but for everyone in the room. So thank you for showing up. I encouraged you on that first night to go up to the mountain, you know, at the beach. Same, but you know, all of that. And, and you've all gone, you've all gone. And let me just say, as I turned around and looked at that, so Jessica stood beside me as we were getting ready to pray for breakfast. And I was kind of lamenting that it's kind of windy outside and it's all of that. And she said, look what God did. He just gave us a whole visual, right? We have built our house on the rock. The rain and the storms are coming in, but we are standing strong, right? So there's a whole visual of that for you to take home with you as well. God did that, right? He did that. So, all right. So let's jump into this last part that the Lord has for us in the Sermon on the Mount. All about knowing him about knowing him. This is called a lifetime of saying yes. And instead of really thinking of it as us knowing him, which we often talk about, right? We'll say to people, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? What about him knowing us? A lifetime of him knowing us, saying yes to that. I don't know what your personal story has been as far as knowing Jesus. I've heard a lot of them this weekend. But I believe this morning the Lord would like to show us the universal story for all of humanity as far as having a relationship with him. So let's get our Bible, like I said, open to Matthew 7. We're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to share, this is our last crew that's going to share verses this week on, but there's a line of them. So hopefully doing what we did last night, it'll help you remember where you're at in order. Christy Siler's going to start, then we're going to go Tammy, Beverly Potter, Lindsay, Dawn, and Lori Martinson, you'll finish this. Okay? Go ahead, Christy. Enter by the narrow gate, for great, uh, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are who find it. And the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Thanks, ladies. Awesome. So I believe for our time together this morning, the Lord has given me some creative license to tell the story of Scripture in a paraphrase that starts 
all the way back in Genesis and then culminates in those verses that were just shared this morning. And I want to tell you about how that actually came about. So my goal over this weekend was I wanted us to be able to touch, at least in a small way, some deeper ways, every part of this sermon. And that was challenging, right? And so I knew this was going to be the part for the end, and, and I didn't have a clue how God was going to have us do it. He had already given so many pieces, and some of those pieces didn't really make sense to me, but I've learned to walk in faith on some of those things. Our logo with the, the three rings and, you know, the garden, I, I mean, I thought it looked pretty and all of that, and I knew it was from the Lord, and, and I kind of had a sense of what it meant. But it, it always had kind of been like a little niggling question in the back of my mind of what is that really? And there were some other questions running around. And then these verses, I just was like, Lord, what do you have? What do you have? And just waiting on him. And then one morning, I woke up really early and I literally just laid in bed as I was going, oh, 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 wow, wow, oh, God. And it took me days to even be able to write it down as he was bringing all of these things together and a lot of what I'm going to share with you this morning is what he showed me. So starting in the Garden of Eden all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, it's a place where Adam and Eve were known. They were known. God knew them and they knew God and there was this intimate fellowship in the garden and they also had full access to eat of the tree that bore good fruit, right? The, the tree of life. But there came a day when this false prophet, right, Satan himself, and what did Jesus just say there? Beware of the false prophets, right? Came a day when, when the false prophet, Satan himself, was in the garden. And even though God had told Adam and Eve not to eat of his fruit, they did. They ate the bad fruit. And it caused a sin sickness that led to death, just like God said that it was. See, the story of the Garden of Eden tells us that once they ate of the fruit, they immediately felt something. It was the shame of sin. So what did, what did they do, right? They sewed these fig leaves together, right? So that when God came around, they would look okay, right? That they could try to hide what they had done. They were feeling this sense of shame that they had never felt before and they didn't want God to see that about them. So they sow these fig leaves, they put on this pretense before him. But God did see, right? Because God sees, and we've talked about that this weekend, how he sees when, when he comes face to face with us, he sees us. And when he saw Adam and Eve, it was a very ugly moment. And that moment really never had to be. If they had just listened to God's word and followed through on that and acted upon it, their life would have stood secure. However, they didn't. And now they were in a big mess. The ultimate result was that they were banned from the garden. They weren't allowed to be in God's presence. They were banned from knowing God, banned from being able to eat of the good fruit, right? They couldn't have that anymore. They were cursed to work the ground and produce their own fruit among thorns, and thistles. And you know what? When you continually eat fruit born out of thorns and thistle type trees that are covered in all of that, you're going to continue to get sick because it's bad fruit. You're going to continue to deal with disease. And I'm not even just talking about physical disease. I'm talking about disease of the heart and disease of the emotions in your mind. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. 
The Bible actually has a phrase for it. It's hidden in the, in the book of Psalms. It's called the tumult of iniquity. The tumult of iniquity. And what that means is there's a momentum of sin. And once that sin starts rolling in your life, it just makes you more and more and more sick. It's like a tumult. It gets, it gets bigger and bigger and bolder and bolder. It goes faster and faster. And then you are so sick in sin, you, you can't even function. Literally, it brings you to the point of death. And that's what sin does. Sin produces death. And so the generations all through the time continued one generation after another in this tumult of iniquity. But amidst all of that darkness, there came moments, and one of those moments of, of, of light, a little bit of light would shine through. And one of those moments was when Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11 about a divine tree stump, okay, that seemed to have been put to its death. But we all know things are not always like they look, right? They're not always what they seem to be. See, this tree stump, although it had been cut down, was still very much alive. And Isaiah prophesied that there would come a time when this tender little shoot, this green little shoot, would start to spring up out of this stump, and it, it, it would grow. And in the fullness of time, that's exactly what happened. See, God had been waiting for just the right time. We even talked about that on the first night. When Jesus came, it was the fullness of time. Jesus was born on the earth. He was this tender little baby, right? But he was a shoot from heaven coming up out of this divine tree. He sprung up. And the Bible tells us that he grew, right? He grew. And then later, he actually, when he was teaching on the earth, he called himself the vine. He called himself the tree, the good tree that bears good fruit, right? And it was him who actually cleared the way for us to have access back into the garden and enjoy the good fruit of life again. That good fruit, the tree of life that God had designed for us to feast on all the days of our lives. But yet we had now been barred away from it. So Jesus cleared the way. He made the way. He became the way for us to enter the kingdom of life. Because he took all of the thorns and thistles upon his own head. See, imagine that after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years had gone by, all the thorns and thistles of the curse that had grown up around the passageway into the Garden of Life. You know, that stuff gets really thick, right? You can't even see through it. You don't know where the beginning and the end of it is. And after all these years, because that was so, there was no opening anymore. There was no access. There was no way to get into the garden anymore, into the fullness of life, into the kingdom of God, where we could have access to the tree of life. There was no opening. So God appointed Jesus to take it upon himself to go head first through the thorns and thistles and make a way for us. See, he alone pressed through the curse of sin. And he made a way, a very narrow way, a very narrow passageway, but he did. And as he did, the thorns and the thistles literally pressed around his head and became a crown on his head. And he died, amen, amen, right? But righteous holy Jesus would overcome. He's an eternal tree. He always bears good fruit. He came back to life, and now he's born the fruit of salvation for me 
and for every one of us. And now we can eat of that tree freely, the tree that bears good fruit. See, whereas before that passageway into the garden was so overgrown with thorns and thistles, we would never have been able to even find it. We would never have even known it was there. We would never have been able to clear that way on our own. In the glory of the resurrection, Jesus made a way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now, yes, that way is narrow. It is very narrow because Jesus is the one who cleared it. And he is holy and he is righteous. So the way is narrow. But how glorious that it is no longer covered with thorns and thistles. We will not get pierced. We will not die when we try to enter. Instead, it is a shining, open gate for us. It's narrow, but it's shining. And if we look for it, we will find it. See, the thorns and thistles on his head became a crown of glory, right? And now as we think about that gate, there is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we've had those three rings in this logo, right? And, and God gave us that, and I knew he wanted us to use it, but I didn't see it until that morning, that they're right there. They're waiting for us. They're longing for us. They're saying, come, this is the gate. Walk through this gate. It's narrow, but it's so worth it because once you get inside, you're like, oh, look what is on the other side of this. It is amazing. It's a kingdom way of living. But ladies, we must always be aware that way is narrow. We can't bring it anything inside it's so narrow you're gonna have to leave everything else behind to make your way through you will enter naked you will enter needy you will be poor and Jesus is gonna see you as you are there is not even room for you to bring fig leaves in you you have nothing see in the garden originally they were naked there was no shame they were completely, their souls were bared open before God, and it was fine because there was no shame. But if we will be willing to walk through that narrow gate, naked, poor, needy, he will welcome us. And as we get inside, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will clothe us with those garments of salvation. They'll open their arms for us to enjoy the good fruit from the tree of life that we were always designed to eat from in the first place. We will be known by Jesus. And being known is so worth it. It is the will of the Father that we be known. Because on the day, and there's going to come a day, a day where Jesus will return, right? And he speaks of it right here. What does he say? Many will say to me on that day, and the Bible talks about that day a lot, and it's that day when he returns and he comes for us. On that day when others are saying, Lord, Lord, I did this for you, and I did all these miracles, and I sang all these songs, and I went to all these Bible studies, and I whatever you want to put in the blank there of the things that we do, he's going to look at a lot of people, and he's going to say, but I never knew you. I never knew you. See, we always think it's us knowing him. He wants to know us. But if we've been coming into the garden, if that's where we've been hanging out, if that's where we've been living, Jesus will look right at us and go, I know you. You're here all the time. Have some more fruit. This is what we do here. We're going to be so familiar in our relationship with him. We've been living there. We've been living in this blessed kingdom life. See, it all comes back to the beginning. Where do we start on, on Thursday night? Being poor of spirit. 
And when we are, that's the beginning of life in the kingdom. It's the beginning of being known. See, kingdom living is not about saying, we know Jesus. I know Jesus. You should know Jesus. But it's really about him saying he knows us. It's a celebration of what he's done. It's the will of the Father that we would enter and and enter this way and find redemption in and life. And so today, Jesus speaks these words to us and he says, come through the gate. Poor of spirit we are. He would like for us to eat of his fruit of life, the good fruit. And ladies, he's been bringing us meals all weekend. This week, today, as we finish out, he wants to bring us another meal. This morning, he's going to feed us with his body and blood. And we're going to take communion together that we would have life. He took the thorns and thistles on his head. He took on the curse and he made a way for us. And we want to take some moments to remember his sacrifice and thank him for it. So we're going to open the box. Somebody can help me here. Thank you, Julie. There we go. And there's communion inside that you can come and gather. Whenever you're ready, we're going to be singing as we do. And we just want to take this moment to just set for a moment as we worship in all that God has done for us in opening the narrow way, but also what he's done for us this weekend. And that we would have a lifetime of saying yes to being poor of spirit because it really starts there. And if you don't say that daily, Jesus, I need you. You're going to find yourself living differently, eating the bad fruit. So we just invite you to come whenever you're ready. The communion is in the little cups like this. You just peel back the top layer, take out the wafer, and then you'll peel back both of the others to be able to drink the juice.
We won't even know we need to be meek before Jesus. We'll be too full of ourselves to feel our hunger for righteousness. We won't be merciful. We won't be pure in heart. We won't be willing to make peace. No, we'll just stand in front of Jesus with our fig leaves on, right? <laughs> Trying to impress him. And he'll look at us and he'll see the juice of bad fruit running down our chin. My parting words to us this day, and I believe they're his words, say yes to being known by Jesus. No pretense, no trying to impress, just needy all the days of your life. Because if you miss that, you're gonna wander into some other garden and you're gonna start eating fruit and that fruit's gonna make you sick. But we don't have to. We don't have to listen to false prophets. We have the prophet, Jesus, right? And he will continually be directing us and leading us in his unfailing love, drawing us to come into the garden. And that day, on that day, what an even greater joy when we will literally feel his embrace because he knows us. He knows us. Jesus is the only one who really sees us. He is the only one who can really free us. And he made a way. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Let's just give it up for Jesus this morning.